You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. And here with me are Brent Bergherm. How are you, Brent? Hey, doing well. And Greg Benz with us today. Welcome, Greg. How's it going? Good. I'm so glad, Greg, you could you could join us today. We we needed a third to talk through these things today. So we're we're so glad you could come be with us. In this episode, I want to talk with you about two things. I have had a little more time to consider the announcements Apple made at WWDC 2019, and I want to get some reaction from you. And I want to cover uh, kind of your reaction on on another topic here that our friends over at Petapixel surfaced, uh, a study, a research study that may explain why it is photographers are pretty regularly asked to work for free. Uh, a study that I think is, is really cool, and it's not a, a way I've thought about it before. So I'm excited to get to that topic, too. So um, so let, let's get started. Let's jump right in. WWDC 2019 reaction. Do either of you get like excited about WWDC? I kind of do. And the only reason I say kind of is because it's it's at the wrong time of year for me. It's, it's always so busy. And so when it was, it was on, I was like, oh, yeah, that thing's going. I better turn it on. So it's not something I'm like waiting with bated breath. But I, was, I watched at least the last half of it. How about you, Greg? Uh, I, oh, I do. Since I develop software, it uh, it can affect me. And, and this year is kind of a big one because Apple's getting rid of 32-bit apps, which right. may affect people using Photoshop CS6. I'm not quite sure. But uh, so, yeah, I, I watch that sort of, sort of thing pretty closely. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. So I, I, I'm guessing most of the listeners, um, they may hear the keynote, um, but there's probably not much else that they are super interested in. And so I, I kind of watched for what topics or something we should talk about here on the podcast. And, uh, and this time I think there's two, there's two items that are probably interesting to photographers. One should be super interesting. The other is probably just interesting because it made massive news. So, so we'll, we'll talk about both of them. The first one up is iPad OS um, which is something that they did this year. In, uh, they announced at WWDC that they're going to kind of split off the OS for iPad from the OS that they're going to have on the iPhone. Um, not too big a deal. I mean, not as not as big a separation as it sounds. The core of it, most of the code, still going to be like common and shared between them. It's it's not like there's a, a massive forking here or something that's that's going to separate the two significantly. But I, Apple just wants to have a little bit more flexibility with what they do with iPad over what they do with iPhone, and I'm excited for it. I'm super, super excited for it because I think this is going to make iPad way more interesting as a device. And in particular, they announced that with iPad OS, they are going to enable external storage support, which Yay. means... Yeah, <laughs> no kidding, huh? I mean, okay, so let, let's talk about... The I'll, I'll talk about what it means first, but to me, okay, yeah, let's let's do that. So what what this means now is you will now have the capability after iPad OS releases and after developers change their apps. So like Adobe with Lightroom for mobile, they need to change the app to take advantage of this new capability. So and, and I'm sure all of that will be coming in the fall. I can't imagine 
Adobe won't be totally ready for this <laughs> in the fall when it, when it gets released. Um, but it, it means you can now connect like an external drive to your iPad and have your iPad use it. Or I've even seen video of someone connecting their NAS to it. There, uh, or I guess it was probably through DAS, through a direct attached storage connection. It, it has to be like a USB connection. And so, so I, I saw uh, an example of that where they, they connected their, their DAS device, their RAID array, so that they could get to everything on that array with their iPad. And to me, this is just the most massive thing for photographers that came out of WWDC. And, and I'm super, super excited about it. There's a YouTube video that I, I'll, I'll throw a link to in the show notes. If you're really geeky, nerdy like I am, you'll be interested in it. Otherwise, you'll just skip it. Or a, a guy demonstrates the very, very early beta release of this where uh, it's not fully functional. There's not apps that have been written to take, take advantage of it. But he demonstrates how much you can do already in the beta, even though it's super early to be able to access external storage. And, uh, and I'm so excited for it because I think this is what will finally make the iPad a legitimate platform for editing photos to me. Um, Brent, I know that you have done some editing. You've been working on like a, a mobile workflow with an iPad Pro. How, how does this, what does this mean for you? Yeah, I've been trying to work that in a little bit. And this summer, I'm going to definitely go a lot further with it. And this definitely opens the door a lot because we're just going to be able to eventually bring photos directly into Lightroom Mobile. Right now, you still have to put photos into the the iPad's camera roll. And you can just bypass that because that's basically a double import process. So that's kind of silly. And then you'd be able to save them or export them right out to that you know, external storage device again. That's just going to really be wonderful because then we don't have to worry about slow Wi-Fi to synchronize our Lightroom Mobile with their, you know, with their cloud service. And that's just going to take forever if you rely on that exclusively. So to, to transfer images back to your computer. So it's something that I'm definitely quite excited about. And I've got a, <clears throat> I've got a trip planned, uh, in a couple of weeks where I'm actually, you know, going out for a, a couple of days and I'm planning on taking just my iPad, even though I don't have the, uh, the iPad OS on there yet, right, right, as, right. as far as just kind of continuing to push that idea of trying to get away from my computer and have something extra, extra light and a little more extra mobile. Uh, that's, that's kind of my goal that I'm trying to push. And, and at this point I'm still saying I'm experimenting with it, but I'm really liking what I see. Absolutely. Greg, have you ever tried to use the iPad in your, in your workflow? I did that on a, a trip years ago with uh, Snapseed and kind of the old import uh -huh, back right, before right. we even had Lightroom. Right. Um, um, and uh, man, if I had all these tools back then, it would have been a breeze. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't terrible back then, but it's a destructive workflow and all that kind of stuff. Now, uh, you know, we can import directly. We can use a pencil. Photoshop's coming to the iPad this year. Uh, you can use mouse support. Uh, it's not quite a Surface Pro, but I, I think the the gap between an iPad and other computing devices is is really shrinking. So if you're a Mac or Apple user, uh, it's great. It's one more option to uh, to edit on the go. Yeah. So tell me about this mouse support because that's not something I've heard of yet. Oh, it's um it's a little bit buried. It's kind of yeah. set up as an accessibility feature, so you'll have to go oh. into the settings to enable it. 
But with the next version of iOS, you'll be able to use a mouse, right? Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> that's, that's so good. Yeah. It, it's I've definitely got developed. several of those wireless mice, uh, you know, because when we buy a new computer at the school, they always come with a, with a wireless mouse. And I don't put those out for students to use because they always grow legs and, and walk away. Ah, yes. So I'll just, you know, throw one of those in my iPad and, you know, kit and that'll be awesome yeah i've seen some demos of that too of people using that and it's not this quite the same because instead of getting like a a cursor you don't have a cursor you have Mm. a little a little circle (laughs) yeah that'd be weird and and so it's not quite (laughs) the same thing but um but i i like the idea of it and so i was going to ask that too either of you have you done much with the the apple pencil and editing with it I, I haven't yet because I don't have a reason to, but now we're going to have two because we'll have Photoshop and you'll be able to use your iPad like a Wacom tablet connected to your laptop. And that'll be another right. new feature. So I think that's kind of a game changer. I I would have to buy a new iPad to use it, uh-huh, but I, I think right. it's exciting. I do have the pencil. I've got the iPad Pro, the latest one, and the pencil too. And right now it's just used for sketching and just kind of doing basic stuff like that. But yeah, once Photoshop comes along... And uh, also working in Lightroom Mobile, I, I use it a f- little bit to to grab the sliders. But uh, right now, it's just a sketching thing. But yeah, connecting it to the to the computer and using it as basically as a Wacom editing device, I'm very much looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, I think this all of this is going to make some really cool possibilities to me. I, I like I said, I, it's going to finally make it a solution that I think I might try. Whereas before it's possible. Lots of people love it. So those that are using it, great. Don't You don't have to try to convert me. I just don't like it how it is right now. <laughs> it just, sure. It's not my preference. I am faster and I, I, I like the experience much better on real computers at this point. But this is this is going to change it. And, and in particular, I, I really have not liked editing with the pencil. So I, I don't have the latest iPad Pro. I have just the latest normal iPad. I don't know how you're supposed to say it, but the, the normal <laughs> one. And um, and it has pencil support. So, I mean, that and it was inexpensive. That's that's the reason I decided because I wanted to keep trying it out. I, mean, I wasn't convinced it was the the platform that I'm going for. So I wasn't wanting <clears throat> wanting to make a massive investment with it. So, but I wanted to try it out. I needed to check it out. I, I want to be able to talk about it on the podcast. I want to be able to keep up on what's happening there. And I just don't, it, it is such a transition for me personally to be trying to edit directly on the photo, drawing directly on the photo with the pencil, for example. I know some photographers absolutely love it and it's it's awesome for them. And if it works for you, oh, great, you know. All of this is whatever is going to help you to realize your creative vision. Go do it. Make that happen. And I love it that there's lots of options and, and they're becoming even better for us to be able to do that. For Just for me personally, I, I struggle with that. It doesn't work as well. I guess I'm too used to the mouse model <laughs> and, and using that or even Wacom. But Wacom is at least I don't have the Cintiq. I have the normal Wacom tablet. So you're you're using the the pencil or the pen in the case of the Wacom on a graphics tablet to the side while you're looking at the screen in front of you and that that all works better for me than it does directly on the photo we'll see though as i get more experience with it especially as there's more capabilities coming that will change it and and that's not the primary reason that i haven't done it the the pencil and drawing directly on the photo is not why I haven't gone there um, as the as a, a serious way of editing my photos. It was the storage. That's what held me back. 
that storage with the iPads is so expensive. <laughs> it's, it yes. is brutally expensive. And so, yes, while it's possible to get qu- a lot of storage, enough that uh, it would probably work for at least a photo shoot, uh, probably a couple photo shoots for me to be able to use the iPad uh, out on the road and and edit that way. It was just way too expensive for me as a hobbyist to consider it as like the primary way that I was going to do it, especially with like other limitations. They're, they're just, it wasn't, it, it felt like a toy. <laughs> it didn't feel like a serious editing device to me. And now with these changes that are coming, um, I think this this is really going to change things and and make it something that's way more palatable and something that I'm uh, I could consider for editing mobile photos. I'm 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 super excited about it. Anything else you guys want to say about this? Yeah, one thing I hope that they that you know product manufacturers developers start coming out with is some kind of uh, extra dock or something like that and you know apple and their dongles is something that we kind of tease them about too (laughs) but with the one port that's just going to be limiting because if you plug in your usb hard drive you're powering that drive from the battery on the ipad and the the amount of work you're going to be able to do is just going to you know plummet uh just as far as how long you can work on it so hopefully we can have a reasonable uh, solution for that to where we can get power coming through and maybe it becomes the hard drive itself provides power to the to the iPad you know and and, the, and you plug the hard drive into the wall if you want to that kind of a thing uh, we, we need to have something along those lines so we can have a little extended work work time on it Greg what about you any any final thoughts on this I I just think it'll be interesting to see where it fits in because it's certainly not going to replace full professional oh, workflows no, no. but it, it reminds me a lot of the early days of Lightroom where a lot of people dabble with it and some people use it instead of using uh, Photoshop on a desktop or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm personally not planning to uh, to switch over just oh, to kind yeah. of test it, but I, I would love to see where this goes in five or 10 years when I want to travel lighter. You know, I, I think this is like the early stages of something really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not convinced I'm going to switch to it either. I still think I'm, I've just been doing it the other way so long. I it probably wouldn't be productive for me, but we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. What, what's well, there, I'm sorry. There there have been um, I think lots of predictions uh, I've seen out there about how the Mac OS and the iOS in this case it's going to be iPad OS kind of converging, and this is just part of that convergence. So one of these days too, I I can dream I think to be able to plug in my my bootable. Uh, clone from my notebook computer right into the iPad and boot into regular OS, that would be pretty sweet. So maybe I can dream. I don't know. <laughs> yep. We'll, we'll see what happens. There are things going on at Apple that a lot of people never thought would. And that's actually the next thing we're going to talk about. The, the new Mac Pro um, was was introduced. They gave us some information, still not everything. So there's still a lot we don't know about this device, this new computer that's coming. Um, but they they definitely teased it enough that it caused a lot of media stir, uh, not only for photographers but for all kinds of content creators and and even just mainstream people. It made, it made massive news in the mainstream media too. So I'm sure you've already seen a lot about this, listeners. That uh, to to talk about it, but in case you haven't, let's talk about the new Mac Pro. So. Um, it's, it's going to look a little bit like somewhat like, and, and I, Mac people are going to just be like, no, it doesn't look at all like it, but it looks a little bit like a PC desktop. 
or or like the desktops from way back, like in 2006, they had a Mac Pro back then. It had a very similar shape, meaning it's it's like a rectangular device, has a case, a cover on it, uh, very different from the very round kind of trash can sort of looking uh, Mac Pro that they've had for a bit now. Um, and it's it's got uh, passive cooling. Like they they put a ton of effort into designing how this computer is going to be cooled and they kind of needed to because apple has really taken fire for their computers lately thermally throttling meaning that you you don't get the full performance out of the hardware that's in there because it can't cool itself enough to actually operate at the full capability that it's got so um so they've they've it's really been a struggle there with how thin their devices are the computers are from apple it's been kind of tough for them to cool them well. And this this has had a whole bunch of engineering done to make sure that, that it's going to have a lot of capability to cool things. Uh, I'm super excited about that. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's it's going to be interesting. There, it's modular, which is what a lot of people was they were hoping for. This is what they really wanted. Modular meaning like on a PC today, if you buy a desktop PC, you can open up the case and you can get in there to like all of the components that are in there. You can upgrade the components. You can change them out, swap them out as you get funding for it, as you get money to there buy on that, <laughs> as you um, as new stuff comes out, you get slightly better. You can upgrade pieces of it rather than buying a whole new computer. It's a piece of it that uh, a lot of enthusiasts love to do, or even, even a lot of professional content creators, they like to be able to do that so that they can st- keep up... Like, it, even taking off a few minutes from a video render is massive for content creators or making it so that as photographers, you, you know this, if, if you could shave off a few minutes from the culling process that you go through, that would be a big deal to you. And, and that's why um, a lot of PC users have, have loved to be able to do that, upgrade their hardware and shave off just a little bit of time from, from what they, they, it takes to do their, their activity, their content creation. And um, and so that's what they wanted. That's what a lot of professional content creators wanted was a modular Mac. You can open up the case. You can get inside there. You can change out the memory. You can change out the storage. You can you can do things inside the computer without having to take it to Apple, have them like take, take the glue apart <laughs> on the device and change stuff out if, if something went bad, something went wrong. And that's what Apple delivered. Um, I think it shocked quite a lot of people that they went as far as it looks like they have. And this is an area where we don't have enough information to know. I don't know if there's going to be restrictions. Like, you, you, yes, it's modular. Yes, you can get in there, but you got to buy the parts from Apple. That's a possibility because they have this T2 chip inside there that kind of that one of the roles is to make sure the hardware is consistent. And uh, and it's it's a possibility that they may require you to go through Apple to buy any of these pieces. Um, we'll see. We we don't really know. They haven't shared all of that information yet. Uh, but you can change the memory out. It looks like it looks like you can change out the storage because it's just like it's not a normal motherboard that they have inside of this. And for people who don't know what that is, it's kind of the the main network the main i don't know things the thing that lets all of the different pieces like memory and cpu talk to each other and uh and it's a really super critical part of the computer and they this has everything open to it so that's that's really cool uh you, even the option potentially to swap out video cards uh although it looks like they're probably going to have to be amd video cards 
Apple and NVIDIA seem to still be at an impasse there. They can't figure out how to work together um, so that Apple can get what they want and NVIDIA gets what they want. So we'll, that probably won't work. Um, even if you bought an NVIDIA card and technically the PCI slot will work, there won't be drivers for it. So uh, that probably is not going to be an option. Go ahead, Brent. Well, I'm really excited about this, sure. Um Mostly in the fact that it's great to have something that people love to dream about and also complain about at the same time because it's so stinking expensive. <laughs> we'll get to that in just a second here. Yeah. <laughs> but right. it can have up to like a terabyte and a half of, of yes. RAM in there. Right. And if if that's something that Apple is going to continue to f- yeah, basically force you to buy RAM, it, I shouldn't say continue because on some models you can still buy RAM from el- other, elsewhere. But if they if it's RAM is one of the things they they have you buy from them. They're notorious for absolutely marking that wicked up. expensive, yeah, really uh, marking RAM. it up, uh huh. And that's just that's just not going to be cool. But you know, then with the screen that they also released with it, I mean, it's just it is a dream machine, of course. Oh, yeah. But my goodness, yeah. it's it's just going to be expensive. Yeah, Greg. What before we talk about the pricing? What do you think? It, it, does this modular kind of computer appeal to you? I used to own the old 2006 Mac Pro yeah. and and I loved it. And, and for me back then, it was a way to buy once and then upgrade the machine right, over time. Right. So I was trying to make it a little bit more affordable over many years. I think this one is totally different because the the cost equation is totally different. And and quite frankly, like um, I, I think this is really for people doing like video or animations I agree. for photographers. I just don't think this changes the game. I, I think there's not enough... Uh, multi-threaded support in Photoshop. And unless you're just have a ton of money and you're importing a gazillion images in Lightroom, I don't know that this changes the game for photographers. I love that it exists, you know, for the same reason Brent was saying that it, it just kind of pushes the envelope. It gets people excited about the brand. And I think that's probably a lot of why Apple does it. They're probably not going to make much money on it either, but um, yeah, it's, it's mostly just like, it's like looking at some prototype sports car. It's like really cool, but will you ever (laughs) put in your garage? (laughs) Yeah, they're fun exactly. and pretty to look at, but it's never coming home. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Let, so let's talk about the pricing uh, briefly, and um, uh, and and a little tiny bit more about this. Then we'll move on to our last story, our last subject here. But the pricing <laughs> base price, you can't go lower, is six thousand dollars, <laughs> and that is probably at least twice the cost of what any listener is has probably paid for a computer so far. And that I think for photographers in particular, which is what our show is about, I think this that just is is not going to work. That is too expensive. Uh, most of the time, photographers have to have there. There are a small business, like so small, it's a one person business, and um, you have to like tax reasons alone are probably a strangle on this to to write off six thousand dollars over three years. Um, cause yes, it, it being modular, you might be able to get a little bit more time out of this machine than you will out of some of them that you're used to something like your iMac. It, it, it might not look or feel so, so old and slow after three years that you're looking to replace it. Uh, you can maybe upgrade some of the pieces inside, but even that has a limitation. Like I've been doing a P- my own custom built PC for, for many, many years now and way before I was even into photography and there's there's just a limit like like we talked about that motherboard 
that motherboard constrains you into a certain uh, genre of of technology. A certain like it's a snapshot in time. There's only so much you can do with that motherboard before you got to replace the motherboard. That's very expensive to do that. And so, so there's there's limitations about how much even upgradability can make you uh, extend the longevity of a, of a computer. Although I have to say, some people have been super creative with the 2006 Mac Pro. And I know there's lots <laughs> that are using them today, <laughs> and they've just done crazy modifications to make it so that they can run them today. And it's interesting stuff that people will do when they're motivated to make it happen. But it's just too expensive. That's probably like at least double. And, you know, photographers have a hard time, I think, on that either three to five year cycle to even make sure that that tax purpose wise, they uh, they can write it off, you know, and not have it be like, oh, now I have this other expense I've got to fit in and make sure that I've made enough in my business to cover the write off of these computer that, you know, the, the stuff that I have to buy for my business. And uh, it's kind of a challenging situation. And then what's worse is what you get for that price. So you get for that price an eight core, sixteen thread Xeon processor, and that may not mean a lot to to many of the listeners, but it it has a base clock speed of three point five gigahertz and a turbo of four gigahertz. And most of the time, that turbo will only be on a single single core. And anyway, it, the 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 thing to take away from that is those are not like really high speeds for today. And that's what Photoshop and Lightroom love is really high clock speeds. That's, that's what makes them go. And so, so it could end up even like the, the specific processor that they have in here is probably not as good as what's in one of the higher end iMacs or even in, I can't remember the Mac mini, what the specs are, but I, I would imagine the Mac mini would even just processor wise and what Lightroom and Photoshop like, the Mac Mini probably gives it a, a huge run for its money for photographers and specifically what photographers do. So that's a ton of money to get something that's not going to really be great for you as a photographer. Then you also you get 32 gig of RAM, which is not bad. 32 gig is is pretty nice. You couldn't even get that in in like a MacBook Pro, um, you know, in 2018. So now you can in the 2019 version. But um, that that's more memory than you could get in a lot of Mac computers for a while, which is it, and that's good. But I'll tell you what, I've, I've had 32 gig of RAM in my PC for five years now, and <laughs> uh, I will not go that low on memory. Like I still run out of memory in composites regularly. I still need, like I have to shut down Chrome. I have to shut down browsers to get the memory back from them so that I can go throw it at my some of my composite work. And that's not every photographer. Uh, not everyone will, will need that kind of memory. But uh, I would definitely want, I'm going to go have 64 gig of, of memory in my next computer for sure. And you can upgrade it. Like Brent said, you can get more. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. If you can get off-brand memory, third-party memory and stick in there or not. I, I hope you can. And, and things to me point to it that you'll be able to. But we will see. Uh, we don't really know. And then um, you'll only get a 256 gig SSD. So all those specs together, the CPU, the memory, and the SSD, those are not overwhelming specs. <laughs> those are definitely not. <laughs> those are very, very mediocre specs for six grand to get that. That's kind of crazy. But I, the, the thing that people were pointing to, the, the way that it's been put and makes a lot of sense to me is... It seems like this is just the entry price into the platform. This is the cost of getting into the platform. And the reason Apple put this really low spec bar out there for, for the lowest end is that people have every intention of just replacing all of that themselves. 
And if they'll let us do that, that could make this far more interesting. Still probably too much money for base level for, for photographers, at least. Video content creators, this might be a whole different game for them. This this is stuff that, like, like those Xeon processors are going to be really good. The video video editing takes advantage of those multiple cores, multiple threads, and uh, and this could be a big deal. And so the idea that I've heard about this was, okay, so so what Apple's saying is you can buy get the platform, you get the motherboard and the the case and the engineering that they've done to bring all of this stuff together for six grand, then you're going to rip out that CPU, you're going to rip out that memory, and you're going to rip out that SSD, and you're going to put your own stuff in, third-party stuff that's not coming from Apple, and and you're going to get better processor, better a lot more memory. You can go up to 1.5 terabytes, like Brent said. That's a ton of memory. And, of course, you can do like almost infinite storage at this point um, for them. And and that would be pretty cool. Still, I don't think for photographers and still not really the target doesn't seem to be actually individuals at all. Like a, a, (laughs) for a person, this is not a computer. This is a computer for a video production company. And for them, this is going to be incredible stuff, especially if they really prefer something like final cut pro Uh, they have proficient editors in that. This is going to enable them to do something they absolutely could not do very well beforehand before this this kind of machine was available. So so that that's how I'm reacting to it. Um, I would absolutely love to have one for sure. <laughs> no question. I would love to play around with this thing. And it will be a phenomenal computer for the people that buy it and, and, and invest in it. I just don't think it makes sense for photographers. And I for sure will not be getting one. <laughs> Brent, Greg, either yeah. of you planning on getting one? <laughs> No, if I had uh, <laughs> if I if I had forty five thousand dollars to blow, which is uh, apparently what the top end one right, is right. expected to cost, uh, I still don't think I'd trade my laptop. Yeah, for yeah. for me, the portability factor is worth more than performance. So it's actually, you know, ten years ago is a different story for me. But I but laptops are so good now that I don't need the cutting edge performance. I would far rather have the ability to take it with me on my trips or to the coffee shop or move it between rooms than have something planted in one room. So it's actually, it just doesn't apply to me anymore. Yeah, okay, fair enough, Brent? Yeah, same same kind of thing here. I just spent uh, about 1500 less than that and I got eight cores and I got 32 gigs of RAM and I got a terabyte of storage in the MacBook Pro that, I'm going to be upgrading to next week. So as far as a price point, you know, you, you mentioned it's a, it's an entry level and you can add all these things to it. And you also mentioned now it's truly geared towards, you know, those video content uh, com- com- corporations, whether you're Disney or whomever else, uh, you know, cause promise technologies, they, they have a, one of those inserts that's going to go in one of those PCI slots. That's like a 32 terabyte, a RAID system that's just going right. to be built into the unit. Right. That's going to be beautiful. Oh, yeah. And for those people who want to use it or who, who need that kind of thing. But, you know, as far as does it make sense for my work? It doesn't. But <laughs> right. that, that new MacBook Pro totally does. So I'm really looking forward to next week when I can fire that puppy up. Yeah. I do think, you know, if I was doing 4K video, though, this would be a game changer. Oh, absolutely. you can now pull in the video and work directly on the original media with no proxy media. And I mean, you know, if you're doing multicam and all sorts of stuff, I mean, I, I think for a certain set of, uh, you know, if you work at Pixar, if you make movies, 
this is an awesome machine if you want to use the, the Mac ecosystem. So I, I think it has a, a place and I'm glad it exists. But well, it especially is a because this is the start of it. I, right. I'm what was really encouraging and exciting to me is Apple didn't abandon the desktop, which for years felt like what was happening <laughs> for a long time. It felt like they're not truly serious about having desktop computers with more power than you can get in the mobile devices. Mobile devices are, are really nice. And so for me personally, I, I do have a laptop that I work on, but I, when I come home, I prefer working on my desktop just because of the, it, the more power that I can get to, especially for the cost. I, I, in working with the PC, I can, and I know how to do it. So we've had this whole discussion before about why I, I prefer that, but uh, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see in in three years, four years time, what they learn, how they uh, streamline the production process for this, how uh, and what's available. How often do they update the motherboard? Uh, you know, some people have, have pointed out, like, well, the stuff that they've they've got they've included in this is already like the graphics card in particular. It's already two years old, and um, while that may be true, this isn't the kind of thing that you can keep up on super easily, at least the way Apple runs things. They have to pick a time to start and invest in the, in the platform. And they can't keep saying, Oh, but this new thing just came out from AMD, this new video card. Now let's see if we can get that in there. Oh, that means we need a different motherboard. Now we got to redesign that. And then, and it's just this, this massive chain of reaction and Apple wants to do so much testing and make sure that the experience is seamless with Mac OS. And, and they, they tune Mac OS so much to the hardware that um, this is not a trivial thing for them to, to get the hardware updated. So that's going to be another interesting thing to watch as new hardware is available, as like next year when it's time to update the MacBook or the, the Mac Pro. Uh, are they going to? Uh, is, what, how is it going to be handled? Can they lower the price? Um, as things get cheaper uh, over time for the hardware they're, platform they're in on, it's going to be fun to watch, really fun to watch. And I hope that someday they may have a modular desktop machine available that's more in the $2,500 to $3,000 range because then I'd be very tempted. Then I'd be really tempted to go and, and give that a try and maybe step out of the PC world. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know what I think will be a game changer for this down the road is we're we're on the verge of you know real cloud computing in terms of True. you know the Adobe ecosystem and home bandwidth speeds and all this kind of stuff and I think when we get to a point where your documents can live in the cloud and you have the option to travel with a laptop and come home to a more powerful computer I think that I think that'll be a really interesting time you know for me I wouldn't use a desktop just because I don't want to shuttle files back and forth I tried that for a while and for me it's very frustrating Sure but I could see a day where I say, you know what? Like I would like a little more power. And when I come home, I've got this other machine. Right. Yeah. Or even docking stations, you have the external GPUs now that are available. And that seems to be that the initial introduction of that was a long time ago and it was rough. <laughs> it was, it didn't work well at all. And it seems like that's worked out quite a bit better now with, uh, with Thunderbolt connections, being able to do that. So maybe you'll be able to have your laptop that you'll come home and you'll stick it in a dock and, and enough other hardware will be able to be added through uh, external connections that it will be a super powerful desktop machine when it's at home. And that, that could be another, it, it's really cool. All the stuff that we have going on. It's so fun. And what, what a time to be a photographer, huh? What a time to be alive. Mm. It's great. I love it. 
Okay. Well, now for all those that have been asleep for the last half hour because they don't like this <laughs> this kind of nerdy talk, uh, let's move on to a different topic. Let's switch gears entirely. And I want to talk about a, a really interesting uh, research development that uh, that came out um, that our friends over at Petapixel, and we'll put a link to their article about this. It's pretty short, but um, and I'll also have the link to the research themselves. But I wanted to start off by asking both of you guys, <laughs> have you ever been worked asked to work for free? Have you ever been asked to be to do your your profession as photographers for free? Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. And and how often does that happen, Greg? Uh, you know, not that often these days because okay. most people are approaching me for like software and tutorials and that kind of thing. Uh, but gotcha. when I was doing weddings and portraits and and that sort of thing, um. Not that uncommon, right? And a lot of times it wasn't just, can you give it for free? It was it was more this like smarmy offer of like, hey, this will be a great opportunity for you to get right, exposure right. on, you know, by letting us use your image on our website or something like that. Something very phony, um, which I think was actually more insulting than asking for free was trying to like insult like the obvious uh, <laughs> bogus offer. Right. Okay, Brent, <laughs> what about you? Do you get asked to do stuff for free? Yes, uh, as as a teacher, they they know people know that I also have access to students who are aching for experience. Oh, gotcha! And so yeah. I get a lot of requests for students to do stuff for free, and so I do what I can to somewhat train them and say, you know, think about this a little bit because you don't want to be known as the one who always offered, who always does stuff for free, because then you'll never be able to make a living at what you're being trained to do. And you're paying so many thousands of dollars per quarter to have me train you what to do. Uh, you know, this just isn't fair to you to do work for free, but there is still a time and place for doing work for free. It's just, you know, you, you got to really be thoughtful about uh, taking that on and, and how it's being asked and what the exact work is and all that. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, and, and it, thinking about your students i mean it, i'm still very much in like the the start of my photography journey too and it, it's really tempting for the students to jump all over it anyway because they're like they want to go and try stuff out <laughs> they want to yeah. go they want to go like that is something i've never done before i'd love to go give that a try yeah. absolutely how do we do this let's set it up and there is absolutely some value to that i i still right. have projects that i think of like well, i've never shot that before and I want to try that out. I love doing that, experimenting and trying stuff out. So, um, so I will do stuff for free a lot just because of that. And and so I totally get that. And and the photographers do get something out of that, or at least early on when you're learning because you've never shot it. That's great. Then it works out well for both sides. The well, hopefully, it does. You don't know what you're going to get from this photographer who's never shot that either. So it may it may not meet the needs of the you know would be client. Um, to, to have someone that's brand new try to do it. Or they may be like, well, this is how I get it for free. <laughs> this is yep. how, how we, we don't have a budget for this. So this is how we get it for free. And whatever they produce, that's what we're going to get. That's how it's going to yep. work. Um, so so the, it's not to say that that's you know, horrible for everybody from the get-go. We've talked about this getting the value for your job, for, for your work, a lot on the podcast. Erica and Connor in particular have really discussed this a ton on Portrait Session and how important it is, especially if you want this to be a career. Obviously, you can't do it for free forever. That's just not going to work. So how do you make it so that you can, you can get there? You, sometimes starting it off, like we've talked about, 
doing it for free is, is kind of how it works, <laughs> especially today. There's so many people that, ha- and the, the photography gear is so accessible to everybody. It's not like it was years and years ago with film where it was expensive enough to get into it that you really had to want it to, to get into it. Now, like everyone's got a, a DSLR or a, a nice, a nice camera and their phones are very capable too. And so, so like everyone's a photographer. So the, the differentiation between someone who's just starting out and learning and someone who's done more is it's closing. It's not as big a gap. Although of course, a lot of people don't have any idea how to use their camera. So there is that, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, the, the core thing that I found interesting in this study was an explanation because the the thing that is different, I think in photography, maybe the, the, the art kinds of professions that are out there, videographers to, uh, painters, perhaps, I don't know, something like that. Um, they seem to be asked to do stuff for free more frequently than other professions. And uh, it's something that that's often, you know, kind of uh, humorous. There's a lot of people have, have done things like that, like comparing that with like the plumber or an electrician where they come in and uh, and they're saying, well, I was hoping just to give you exposure as, as a good plumber instead <laughs> instead of paying you today. Like, no, nope, that's not going to happen. Uh, I need money. That's how this works. I do the job. You give me money. And, um, and, and so other professions don't seem to have this same level of, of people saying, well, I'll just either it's for exposure or it's a project you've never done before. It's a great way to get some experience. Um, you know, they don't want that either with plumbers or electricians. They don't want someone that doesn't know what they're doing trying to fix their plumbing problem. Um, so, so why is that? Why is it that photographers are often exploited? Um, and this study may have a good explanation for it, which is what I found interesting and why I wanted to talk about it today. And what this study was, this this came from uh, a whole bunch of researchers. It's not just one person, but it's being published mostly by JCAM out of Duke's Business School. And uh, and what they studied was they, they had this, this theory, this premise that the reason photographers and, and other creatives are often taken advantage of or, or people feel fine in trying to exploit their talents um, is is because of the passion that they have for their work, for their profession. And and it's so super interesting to me to think of that. I do what what do you guys think? Do you think that the level of that that uh, on par on uh, on the whole photographers generally tend to be passionate about their work? Oh yeah, definitely. And and certainly people can uh can sense that um but, you know, I, I think I think that's true what that article says about the, the passion. But I think there's there's definitely some additional factors. Right. And one of them is, you know, like I've had three different careers in my life. I've been an engineer. I've been a marketer. And, and now I'm basically, you know, a photographer slash software developer. And when you're in marketing, everyone has an opinion on on what you do. And when you're a photographer, everyone has an opinion on what you do. When you're an engineer, it's kind of like the plumber scenario where people kind of say, yeah, why don't you do it? You know, <laughs> and I think we all have cameras and we all edit photos. And so I think there's this sense of like, well, I can do it. And that devalues what you're doing. And the way that people do it is a fraction of what gets put into a professional workflow. So I think they they end up with this false impression of the difference between casual photography and the amount of effort right. that goes into serious photography. Totally agree. They don't realize what it takes to make that leap to to get go from 
uh, auto mode on your camera, pushing the shutter button and, you know, taking a picture to knowing how to set things up and, and make it so that you can actually create a really cool image that there's a big learning curve. <laughs> That's why we have a podcast about it because there's, there's a, a massive learning curve there. It takes time and experience and, and a lot of trial and error to figure that out and, and learn it. But the average person has no idea what it takes to make that happen. Um, Brent, maybe you have a, a perspective on that being a teacher. Well, and there might be some problem <clears throat> that we have when we make it look so simple because certainly we enjoy it, number one. Number two, we tend to be good at it sometimes. At least the average listener is probably at least generally good at what sure, they do right. with their photography. And then when someone is looking at that and like, well, how long did that take you? And they just don't see, they're not, you know, they're, they're not aware of all the time in post-processing or anything else along the lines of planning a shoot. And, uh, you know, they don't think about the cost of the equipment and the cost of the computer stuff that we have to have. It's just not because for them, all that's provided for either for their job or it's just, they, they use their stuff for so many other things, you know, their computer, they use it for household chores and they, you know, keeping their checkbook and whatever else. So they don't see that as an additional cost for us to be able to do what we're doing with our photography. And then there's the whole idea of, well, maybe since they can see that I'm passionate about photography and I just love it, because that's true. If there's any chance that I can go out and shoot, I want to absolutely Absolutely. do it. And so they might be thinking, well, I'm doing Brent a favor by giving him this opportunity. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, uh, don't view it that way, please. (laughs) Because you are, but you also aren't. So it's it's kind of a catch-22 we find ourselves in sometimes. I think the other thing is most photographers, even professionals, I think really underinvest in trying to understand how business works and what yes. people really want to buy. If you took the amount of time you put into learning your camera and Photoshop and all the other things people do to learn photography, and you spent at least as much effort in learning business, I think people get different results. I mean, if you only invest in your photography and not in your business, you really shouldn't be surprised that you aren't paid very well for good images. Sure, sure. Yep. Excellent point, yes. Yep, that's true. Okay, and, and I do think, but I do think that having a passion for it is almost a requirement for photographers, yes. <laughs> especially if if you are going to try to be a professional, like this is your career and how you're going to pay for your your housing and your feed your family and all of that as a photographer you got to have a serious passion for it because it's going to take a lot of work to and shooting a ton to make it so that you can you can make a good living. At some point, you may be uh, build your brand enough, especially like you, like like uh, Greg was saying, if you've spent some time on the business side of things to build your brand, maybe it, it slows down. But at the beginning, of, you're you're going to have to shoot so much. You better love it. <laughs> if you don't, you're going to move on. <laughs> and and, me, and there's probably some who are listening like, yeah, that's that's not me. And and honestly, that's probably part of the reason I don't want to go pro. I have a passion for it. And, and I, I think I, I have a fear that if I did try to go do photography full time, that I, w- I would lose the love. I would lose the passion. It would become like a, a required thing and something that I would... I, I might dread. Maybe I'd be wrong. Maybe I'd still love it as much as I do because I do have a, a massive passion for it right now. But uh, I, it's just like a fear I have. Plus, I really like my day job too. I, I have a big passion for that as well. So so I, I have passion on both sides of it and, and I just love it. I love what I'm doing. It's great. 
Um, okay. I, I literally just had that conversation yesterday with a student in saying uh, about, and it was about photography. And I was just like, you know, if you do love it, you should definitely pursue it. And I, I address the risk of saying, you know, what if you fall out of love with it? Right. And my advice to them was to say, you just be okay with it. You know, like Greg mentioned, he's had three different careers. Right, right. And, you know, people grow. And if this is where you're at in your life right now, I say, absolutely go for it. It might be a lifelong career. It might be something you do for 10, 15 years, but you you probably owe it to yourself to at least pursue it. And I think that's one of the things in, in my uh, kind of life as I'm looking back, I'm on the cusp of being a quote, an old guy, uh, and some might say, and that is, I wish I had pursued it more seriously early on, because while I've always had photography as a side job, uh, as I'm looking at it now, and hallelujah, I've been teaching it for 12 years at the university, it's just, I still have that insatiable burning desire to just say, get me out there more, and I want to do this more with whatever it is we can do, and if I can earn a living at it, yay, that'd be awesome. Uh, I definitely want to make that happen. And that's where Greg's advice of going into business, as far as looking at business things, that's what I've been focusing myself a lot on, trying to to look at marketing and those kinds of things. So uh, it rings true to, to to say, if you are passionate about it, you at least owe it to yourself to give it a try, at least responsibly give it a try. Sure. <laughs> Don't put your family or yourself at, at risk, but uh, give, give it a try and it just might work out for you. Okay, so th- this research wasn't... Uh, it wasn't specific to photographers, so so they right. weren't they weren't set out saying why do photographers get asked to do their their profession for free a lot. It was just more of a uh, a, a human nature thing that they thought they had observed, and so they they did some research to try to confirm it, and and they think that they've they've really done that. And the, what the research was saying was bec- that we it's almost like a, a blood in the water scenario, <laughs> like the yeah. shark blood in the water stuff. Um, it's when when as a human when we when we come in contact with another human that's demonstrating a massive passion for whatever it is whatever their passion is we as humans detect that it's easy to detect that and as humans whether we're doing it consciously or not and and in most cases they, they think it's really not a super conscious decision we exploit that we immediately have in our head something happen where we think, man, they just want to do this and they're going to do it almost no matter what. So I may as well get the best out of it that I can. And therefore I'm going to ask them to do shoots for free or, you know, I'm, I'm going to leverage this person who is just so excited about this thing. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to exploit it. I'm going to make that happen. So there's three things that I I saw in the research that I want to read word for word here on, on what they said. And then I want to get your guys' reaction. So they said, it's scary to think that when we see someone in a bad work situation, our mind may jump to the conclusion that they must be passionate about the, their work. While not always factually incorrect, this may severe, serve to legitimize instances of mistreatment. Which is a different, totally different spin on it than I had been thinking about. Yeah. And then uh, another thing, the researchers found this tendency to exploit passion arises from two beliefs. That the work it's in itself is its own reward and the employee would have volunteered anyway. So that and, and that's kind of what I think happens a lot when they see photographers who just love taking taking pictures and making, creating things that uh, why they're willing to do that. Like, because they're going to do this anyway, why should I pay them? 
And then um, the last thing was our research is not anti-passion. So we're not saying we shouldn't be passionate about things. <clears throat> they said, there is excellent evidence that passionate workers benefit in many ways. It's simply a warning that we should not let the current cultural emphasis on finding passion in our work be co-opted by the human tendency to legitimize or ignore exploitation. So some some pretty important kinds of things that they're thinking about. They're way past, well, a photographer should get paid for their for their work and and could be in like, you know, other situations where the exploitation isn't just that you didn't get paid well. It's it's worse than that. That we we may treat people very poorly if they show a passion for something, which of course would be not be good. So, Greg, what what do you think? What do you? I, I, what I wanted to steer the conversation to next is what can we do as photographers to kind of avoid this? What can we? How can we make it so that we we aren't exploited because we have a passion for this? Yeah, I think you definitely need to be careful with the uh getting exploited thing yeah for you know one your own pride two you don't want to be undercutting people are making money at this because someday when you're making money you don't want the next guy (laughs) undercutting you right um you know but there i think there are ways through this right if we go back to that example of um you've never done this shoot before and you want to get experience you don't necessarily have to take the offer that's given to you you can kind of reshape things like when i started shooting weddings I, uh, I had no experience and sure, it'd be easy to say, I'll, I'll shoot a wedding for nothing or 500 bucks or something like that. I actually spent several years um, second shooting and assisting with a local photographer named Michael Barnholt. And he was incredibly generous with me to, to teach me a ton, to let me use the images that I'd shot to market my own services. And so I was able to come in and help a professional grow, get paid a little bit, and learn much faster under the wings of a better photographer than I would have learning on my own. So I think, you know, if you can get out there and find some creative thing like that, where you're assisting someone, it's probably better than just doing a freelance freebie project. Uh, And the other thing I always tell people is it's always better to be different than to be better, right? You can, you can chase the, the ultimate absolute quality in whatever you're doing, but if you're still trying to do the same thing everyone else is doing, then people have a ton of choices when you choose to do something different and pursue a niche and, you know, maybe you're the, the, the child photographer who always has a red balloon in the photo. I'm just making something up. But if you know, <laughs> right. if you take a different tack, then suddenly the, the competitive choices narrow down and, and people see you as different and that reframes everything. And then lastly, I'd say aim for the high end of the market uh, in whatever you do. Um, I have consistently found that when you're at free or low paid, that's only the first problem. The next thing is those same people don't respect you. They're going to complain about your work. They're going to be difficult in every possible way. The, the clients that always treated me the best, the ones that I loved working with, were the ones who paid me the most. And the ones who gave me the problems were almost always the ones who haggled over price to begin with. So I just steer clear of that scenario, even if I wanted the experience or something, because I just know that the fact they're not willing to pay me only indicates that they don't respect me and there's going to be more problems down the road. Yeah, very good point. What about you, Brent? What do you think? How can we avoid exploitation? Certainly learning to say no is is a big thing. Uh, I find this a lot at work because it's very easy to get overworked at uh, a place that views themselves rightly so as a mission field because it is a church-affiliated university. And if you don't have a certain passion for that kind of work, you shouldn't be working there anyway. Uh-huh. But it's so easy to get overworked. And that's just something you got to be 
you know, protecting yourself just so you don't go insane and you don't burn out. But the other idea, like Greg had mentioned, of protecting one's income, uh, that is something that you need to uh, definitely be conscious of. Because if you especially have if you have professional ideals with your photography, uh, you know you're not going to make it by shooting a, a three hundred dollar wedding. Just don't do that, right. um, at least for very long, especially. But I want to also highlight uh, Seattle photographer Chase Jarvis. He has a blog post that I've put in the show notes. And he has a th- uh, the title of the blog post is Say No Unless the Project Has At Least Two of These Three Things. And those three things are money, and he qualifies it more as good money, right. portfolio, and relationships. So he's leaving yourself, he's leaving us an out to say, you know, if it is going to build our portfolio and it is going to build our relationships, maybe it's still worth it for us to do that work. So it doesn't have to always be money oriented. And I really like how this kind of comes in. As long as it ticks off two of those items, you're probably the work may be uh, may be good and worthy for you to do. Okay, excellent. I I think I'm still in the midst of this. <laughs> I think I'm still at the point in my photography where um, I I just am so passionate about it and so super excited about it that. When someone comes to me with a project that is interesting and would be fun to do, I tend to jump on it and I'm not even thinking about like, you know, compensation too often. Now, I have changed that a little bit. So here's an example. Um, when I first wanted to do some sports shooting, um, I would try, I wanted to do, to do football. Everyone seems to want to do football when they, when they want to get into to sports shooting. They, that's the, the go-to thing. And uh, so I, I just tried to ask at the high school, like, hey, can I get a, a press pass to be able to be on the field and, and shoot the football game? And they said, oh, we already have an exclusive photographer. So, no, you can't do that. And, and I was like, what? And then, um, but then I, I found out that as I asked around a little bit, I found that I had... Uh, there were there were like team moms for especially the girls sports, the women's sports at the high school. They aren't uh, as popular for photographers to shoot, which is a shame because it's really fun to shoot women's sports. That's it's it's very cool. The the boys tend to be uh, less appreciative. <laughs> the girls just are like, thank <laughs> you so much for shooting. They they love the photos and it's fun. It's really really fun. It's a great way to break it. I I prefer it over the men's sports now. So I've done some men's sports and I love. I really like doing the women's. But so so I, you know, a team mom found out that I was asking about it. And so she said, Hey, nobody's shooting the women's basketball. Would, would you like to do that? And so I did it um, for free because I wanted to shoot sports. I wanted to get the experience. I'd never done it before. So I was nervous about charging anything to it. And it just never even came up. And so I did it. I learned a ton. I made lots of mistakes. It was so fun to do. Like I said, the girls were very appreciative too. And then the next year they were saying, okay, so let's do this again. I was like, okay, I'd like to, but I do need compensation this time. Now that I have experience doing it, now that I've kind of figured out what I want to do, here's what, what, uh, what it will be. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. That's great. So I was really glad because I was nervous about introducing that aspect into it because I wanted to do it again. It was so fun. I wanted to do it again. And, but it did take a lot of time away from my family. I went to basketball games and I, we were shooting the whole team to, for team photos. That's a lot of work, especially because I, I do composites with it. And so so it was a, a ton of effort and I had fun doing it, but it, take, it does take time away. And, and I can't, I knew I couldn't stay on the, I'm always going to do this for free path. 
And so I asked, and, and it wasn't a big deal. They're like, yeah, that it's it, they they knew there was value too, and and so I, I I think maybe that's the lesson that I have learned. It's okay to take a job for free, especially if maybe there's a charitable cause for it that you really believe in. Those are great projects. That that even adds more to the passion of your project, and those are fulfilling things. Those are things that, as human beings, we we just need to be nicer to each other regularly anyway. And, uh, and those are, those are wonderful projects to go work on. So I, I, I really hate it when photographers say they should never work for free. Cause I think there are some cases where we need to do that. But, Absolutely. But what would you guys say? Just flipping this around. Yeah. What would you say was the best free thing you ever did? The one you look back and say, man, I'm really glad that I just went with that project. Okay. So I'll start off. So for me, there's been two of them. Um, and they both had to do with people who, had some really horrible medical uh, things in their lives. One was um, the mother of a, a family of, I think they had four at the time, four, four kids, uh, found out that she had cancer, brain cancer. And um, they they didn't have a ton to, of money to pay for portraits. And I said, that's okay because I wouldn't charge you anyway. This, this is a this is something I want to do. They wanted to get pictures together as a family before she went in for treatments and stuff that, and the, the fortunate thing is it all worked out well for them and, and the family's doing great today. The other one is a similar situation again, cancer. And I, I talked about this on the podcast a, a, a month or two ago. And, um, and she unfortunately passed uh, about three weeks ago. So the same thing, I, I, I took the pictures and, and they loved it because they had the pictures to to be able to show. They they knew that she wasn't going to make it. That the doctors knew she, it was very short time, and so they had really nice photos to be able to put in like the obituary and at the funeral and and stuff like that. So both of those were, and there was no way I was going to charge anything for either of those, those situations. I wanted to you know pitch in and help and do do what little I could to help these families dealing with just a tragic and horrible situation with cancer. And I, one one of the items that I did was well, probably two years ago now. Uh, a friend's daughter was diagnosed with DIPG, which is a very aggressive cancer uh, that usually hits uh, little kids. And the, the average person that's diagnosed with that is um, not around in six to nine months. And um, so I they they had a different photographer shoot some photos, but I printed it on canvas for them and gave them a really nice just big, huge canvas. And uh, so that was one thing. And so that, you know, that's just something that's a, a kind of a memento they have to remember their daughter by. Uh, and then on the flip side, something a little more hopefully positive, um, between 2007 and 2014, uh, went on several mission trips, uh, photographing what was going on and writing articles and everything. And uh, either came out even with some support that some organizations had to support in that work. So all I had to do was donate my time or I ended up spending hundreds of th- hundreds of dollars, not hundreds of thousands, um, <laughs> hundreds of dollars uh, of my own, if not a couple thousand dollars of my own to, to be there participating in that work. How about you, Greg? Yeah, it's interesting. We're all pointing to these uh, charitable cases and, it, and it's the same for me. I, I have two stories. One is a, a story of... Um, I feel really good about. And one is a terrible regret for me. <laughs> okay. Good. I, um, I had a coworker years ago who asked me to do a free photo shoot for a family and looking back on it, she was trying to explain the situation, but I, it wasn't clear to me. I, I didn't understand what she was saying. Um, 
and it turned, she was, I I guess just downplaying it, but her father was dying and I had no idea. And I I passed on it. And then a few weeks later, I found out that he had died and I I felt awful. I couldn't take that back. I couldn't give them that experience. It was terrible. Um, And then I had another situation in which uh, a connection of a friend of mine uh, had this terrible uh, medical error during delivery. And this child was born but dying uh-huh. and uh, and I was asked on extremely short notice, can you come and take these photos? And I just dropped everything to make it happen. And I'm so glad it, it was, it meant so much to them. I, I um, heard back about them years later and it meant so much to them because it was basically like a stillborn child. And, and they just had a few precious moments with this child and those pictures meant the world to yeah. them. So I think those situations where, where you're doing something for a greater cause like that, man, I, I just, I, I I would re- really think hard before you turn those down. I think yeah. those really are great. You can't you can't do everything. You you have to say no to some things. But um, I, I think when you know the the human side of things matters that much, you know it's just you just find a way to make it happen. Because I, I truly do regret um, not asking a few more questions in other situation to understand what it really meant. I thought I was being kind of you know taken for uh, for a ride uh-huh, to get kind of a free right. you know free session, and it just she was just being very modest in the request and didn't explain what was happening. So it, it's going to be a difficult challenge. I, I think then, you know, I'm glad the conversation turned to, to this because there's so much value and so much we can do to improve the world <laughs> by, by taking on those, these projects where we will shoot for free because it is such a great cause and it just makes us good people to do that. There, there's good reason to do that. But then there's this fine line, like you can't go and do shoot something free for every hard luck story either. That's, that's not going to, that's not going to work. You've got to figure out and it's a, it's a tough line. And I think just understanding this research, just understanding that from the get go, even if someone doesn't have a motivation to ask you to do it for free or, or a really worthy cause like that, where it may be a legitimate thing you'll want to do and, and should consider, the the human tendency is going to be to detect that passion and try to leverage it, <laughs> try to take advantage of it and exploit the passion and get more out of you than you're being compensated for. Uh, it's a tough balance. It's a tough thing to do. And, uh, and I think we just, just being aware as photographers that that may be the situation that people aren't trying to be mean necessarily maybe some will but there's not people that are deliberate they may not be deliberately trying to do that it's a human nature thing and we have to counter it we have to say we have to do um, whatever it's going to take to make it so that we can be fairly compensated even though there's a passion for what we're doing uh, it's a good thing to be aware of and something i'm going to make sure i work on <laughs> myself in my own photography yeah, I think when you get those requests, you just have to assess, you know, assess what, what what is the sincerity of the request, right? Are they uninformed or are they trying to manipulate you? And and if it's if it's uninformed, which is usually the case, you know, you can you can talk to them, you can refer them to someone else sure. who offers a different service. There's a number of things you can do, but I think there are a lot of times, you know, what starts off on the wrong foot can be turned around to a, a win for everybody. Right. Yeah, and certainly over time, the compensation that you're getting for your work needs to be increasing. Um, if, if it's not, mm-hmm. then that's probably something you, you've got to work on too. If you're a listener that's, that's had the same prices for your shoots for more than a, a couple of years, 
uh, you need to look at that. You need to consider increasing the prices. That Not only inflation there, but you're getting better. The more experience you have, the more you're doing, you're getting better and you need to be compensated for that. And it's okay to make get, have your services get good enough where uh, it may fall outside of the market of some of the people that you've been used to dealing with. And that that's okay. That's all right to do that unless you really want to, unless there's there's other reasons like we've talked about that, that you may want to take on the shoot. So super interesting kind of thought here. I was, mm-hmm. I was uh, glad to see the research about it. it uh, it's just good to have, have it explained where it may not be fully conscious and intentional that people do this. It's just human nature. This is how it works. And being aware of that, I, I think it's going to help me. It's going to help me as a photographer to make sure I, I, uh, I'm aware of that and, uh, react appropriately. So I'm, I'm glad to have talked about it. All right. It's time to move on. I know we could talk more, but it's time to close up the show here. Let's, let's end with our doodads and we're going to start with Brent. Brent, what's your doodad of the week? So my doodad is this thing called the Cal digit TS three plus 15 port Thunderbolt three dock space gray just rolls off the tongue uh, oh man yeah memorize <laughs> that and yeah this device is just a it's a thunderbolt dock for my new computer that i just got and i had one by promise technologies and that's just going to my boss because my boss is inheriting my current computer and so i was like well i need another dock and this one's a little bit smaller than the promise technologies one and and then it also has an sd card reader in it which i like so uh, I decided to get this to be my hub for all of my things on my desktop at work, which, which has a nice big monitor, a couple of hard drives, just, you know, all the stuff, network connection, everything. So I have one cable that I get to plug into uh, my computer when I when I come up to the desk. And I just plug in one thing and I'm tempted to get one of these for my home office so I can just have the same computer and hop back and forth between home and school office so that I can... I can just very, you know, have the same thing because I got that new computer and I upgraded the the video card on it. So rendering video is going to be amazing compared to my home computer, which is a 2014 little Mac mini. That thing takes forever to render video. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's why I'm mostly interested in potentially getting one even for the home office. Interesting. That thing is not cheap. <laughs> it's- no, it's not. But the Promise Technologies one is also, it's about 20 to more dollars. So at least when I bought it, it was. I see. So these these types of hubs that have all these different ports and all these different connections uh, for your Thunderbolt 3 stuff is definitely not cheap. And that's one of the things when we were talking about the iPad, I was like, I hope we can have a more iPad centric hub so we can power our hard drives and a few things. And maybe it'll be, you know, $150 instead of 310 or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, cause this thing is not cheap. And I actually was weighing the decision. Do I go with a less video card and save the money there on the computer and not do this, but do one of those eGPUs, right, right. or do I go with greater video card and get one of these? And, you know, this saved, going this route saved about $600, sure. but still that eGPU would have been a lot more powerful. Right. But I decided I want the power wherever I go, and I would rather have the portability than more power. So I went with a little bit more power and all the portability. So right. I'm, I think I will be happy with my decision. All right. Greg, you don't have anything in the show notes. Do you have a dude out of the week? I do. Um, I, um, I, I calibrate my monitor because I print. You know, if you don't print, it's really, I don't think that important. But uh, to me, it's important to have a, 
you know, the right screen colors and tonality because I'm doing a lot of large prints for clients. Uh-huh. And um, I have been using uh, spider uh, devices for years from data color and they're very good. But I recently decided to uh, try out X-Rite's uh, new i1 studio and I love it. Yes. It's um, one device that gives you the ability to calibrate your camera, your monitor, your printer. If you use a projector, you can do that too. And it's very easy to use. Um, so I think it's a, it's a great value. The, the only knock on it, I'd say, is actually rotating the device to its different positions for different types of calibration um, is a little bit awkward. And I think if you're someone who has difficulty manipulating things with your hands, this would be maybe one to avoid. I think that's actually kind of tricky, but um, the, the device itself is, is great. And uh, for me, it's totally worth uh, just a little bit of time to make sure that when I make a print and it goes up on my client's wall at 40 by 60 inches, it looks incredible. I'm going to disagree slightly with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone needs to do this. Everyone needs to calibrate their screens because even if you're not printing, you're sharing your the, the work that you're doing out to social media. You're sharing it with the clients and the clients may go print. Um, if you give a digital copy to them, they, they may go print. So there's that. Plus, um, it's it like establishes a baseline where it's gonna you have a better chance that people's funky settings that they may have on their computer monitor, uh, or if they're looking at it on their phone, you have a better chance that the image is gonna look the way you want to them. Rather, in like if you don't calibrate, you may have a situation where like your screen is overly bright, and so you're gonna produce images then are are darker. And then you may have someone else that has an even brighter or sorry, a darker screen that they're looking at. And now it's going to look really dark to them, like double, uh, double uh, being off in in a double way, Um, like emphasizes it and makes the images look really, really horrible. So I think everyone needs to calibrate. The i1 Studio is more of a higher end calibrator. But um, and so there's some other cheaper, less expensive options. But I think every photographer needs to calibrate their screen. Just you need to do it. And Greg, I'm going to suggest some software for you to to go give a try. It's called Display Cal. Yeah. It's an open source tool that does the, the calibrate uses these hardware devices for calibration and it does a way better job than the default software that comes with the device. So go check out Display Cal. Awesome. I'll uh, I'll definitely check that out. Hey, one one quick thing for anyone who's uh run into that, you know, dark prints kind of issue, uh the number one thing to do is turn down your monitor oh, brightness. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. People have uh have all these displays at full brightness and if you're if your uh, display is substantially brighter than a piece of white paper in the same light, then you're tricking your your eyes and you're going to process things incorrectly. So turn the monitor down. Yep. Even if you don't have the calibrator, turn it down. <laughs> that, that's a good <laughs> good suggestion. Okay. My dude out of the week is a utility for Windows users only. So most of the audience <laughs> won't care, but that's okay. Uh, it's called TerraCopy. I've been using this for a long, long time. There'll be a link to it in the show notes. It's free for most uses. There are a few features that are pro, and I bought it just to support the developer. Um, but what this this is a it, it copies files in Windows faster than the native file explorer will. So I wanted that as I'm copying my my images from my memory card to my computer. I don't know what the magic is that the developer's done here, but it does it faster. Plus, you can add some in the preferences. You can go and change it and make it so that it will automatically do the checksum validation that the entire file made it 
corruption-free to the destination. It will go and check and validate that everything went across perfectly, which is good because I have had an occasion where like memory card issues happen. The reader, sometimes I've, in the past, I used a, a really inexpensive reader that wasn't fully reliable. And I would have images get corrupted as I copied them over, not even knowing it for a while. Like File Explorer didn't tell me. I'd go into Lightroom and it was only when I got to that image as I was trying to edit that it would say I couldn't read the image and couldn't couldn't make it work. So, uh, or as I was trying to import it. So, um, so this just you know gives me peace of mind as I'm doing it. I, I use TerraCopy to copy my images from my memory card to my computer. And uh, it's super fast and it does this checksum feature so that I can make sure that all the images are perfectly copied over. And, uh, and I love it. So that's a good utility to, to use if you're a Windows user, TerraCopy. All right, let's wrap up the show here. We're going to remind everyone, masterphotographypodcast.com is where you can find the show notes. So some of the links we've talked about in the show will be there. You can go check out that stuff. Uh, we have our Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. You can just go search for that. And you do have to answer a question. We want to keep it to a listener-only group. And we continue to have tons of people. I, I think there's a lot of interest because it's coming up in Facebook searches now. Just as people look for photography groups, our group comes up. And we won't let people in unless they can name a host on the show. So for today, that'll work for for Greg or or Brent or Jeff, any of those. Just first name is fine. We we could. There's few enough hosts on the show that that'll that'll be great. And if you don't answer the question, we're not going to let you in. Then we have Instagram account for the show is at Master Photography Podcast. You can check out my work jsharmanphotos.com, or you can check out my other show phototacopodcast.com. Uh, my next episode, which will be released very well, probably actually before this show comes out, so it, you'll you'll be able to hear it was is with Don Kamarechka talking about macro photography. So it's very cool. He, he's uh, he's really awesome to talk with. And uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can find all my stuff over in the show notes. So I'm not going to say that here. Brent, where can people find you? On my website at brentbergherm.com. And you can find me in person in Denver this summer uh, in July, late July. We'll be there. And I'm looking to organize a listener meetup. So if there's any chance that someone wants to come out and join us with a little bit of a photography, it'll just be an evening shoot. I don't have the the spot decided just yet, but uh, we'll be doing that probably on Sunday, July 28. So find me on the website, email me, and uh, you know I'll put you on the list and I'll let you know when we have that figured out. And I'll make other announcements here on the podcast as well once I have it figured out. But just know that that's happening. And then I've also got a workshop on the Oregon coast also happening in tail end of August. So lots of lots of stuff going on. I'm all over the you know, the other social medias. So just search my name and you'll find me on those various spots. And of course, Latitude Photography Podcast, uh, where we talk about all things related to travel and landscape photography. Excellent. Greg, where do people find you? Just go to gregbensphotography.com. And uh, if you're not into the whole blog thing, just head straight to the footer where I've got links to all the other ways you can find me. Okay, excellent. His blog is awesome, by the way. Uh, He just barely put out, Greg just put out a video on the texture slider in Lightroom. I'm going to be talking on Photo Taco Taco with Victoria Bampton. Man, I'm struggling here. (laughs) The Lightroom queen. She's going to be on the show on Photo Taco very soon to talk in a lot of detail about the texture slider. But Greg has an excellent video out of his blog or on his YouTube channel that uh, demonstrates the the differences or what, uh, how you can, how uh, clarity is different from texture. So go check out his video. It's really cool. You did a great job on that, Greg. All right. 
thanks everyone for listening. We're so glad that uh, to have you aboard this uh, this podcast and and get out there and shoot. Go go experiment. Go do something fun, and yes. let us know in the uh, in the Facebook group when you do that. You can comment on the. We have a weekly post where we we post a, an image that came from one of the listeners, and it's the thread for the week. We rotate it every week where you can share your own own photos too. So we don't we don't want it cluttering up the entire Facebook group with uh, with nonstop photos. So we have one thread per week where you can go share those, and we'd love to see that. And we'd love to hear too. I'd, I'd love to know in the Facebook group what it is that you all are doing to avoid being exploited. Have your passion for photography exploited? How is it that you're managing to do that? It'd be fun to kind of collaborate together, maybe give others uh, ideas on on how to do that. We kind of shared our own little experiences here, but we'd love to hear from all of you. So it'd be great. Go head over to that Facebook group. And uh, we thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you again in another seven days. 